Welcome to another week here on Cap and Trade. I am your host, Texans Cap. On the bottom left of your device screen, you will see a microphone icon. You can use that to request speaking rights. We have some points of discussion to cover this week, and we'll try to get to as many of your questions as possible throughout the show. As a reminder, this show is recorded and will be redistributed via the Cap and Trade podcast. Thank you again if you're a returning listener, and if you're new, welcome. With that, let's go. All right, another week here on Cap and Trade. We have good good friend Aaron Wilson of Sports Talk Radio 790 joining us. Covers the Texans, has well covers the NFL pretty heavily, but uh, devils into the Texans for the most part. So uh, he's graciously set aside some time to join us tonight to talk about the current state of the Texans. We'll talk a little bit about the 49ers game. Talk about you know what's what's next for the Texans. Both on the, you know, we'll try to dive into, you know, what 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 the team needs to be looking at going forward, what the future holds for David Coley, and a couple other things. And then, as always, we welcome questions. So, you have uh, the icon, you know, on your bottom left, and you're more than welcome to uh, you're more than welcome to request uh, to speak and ask a question. And if you if you don't want to speak, like we always do. You're more than welcome to send me a DM through Twitter. My DMs are open, so if you want to ask your question that way, you're more than welcome to do that as well. So um, with that, Aaron, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Thank you. I was in San Francisco for the weekend uh, for my wife. We had a good trip other than the game. Obviously, it was, uh, didn't sustain anything. And then I had a layover in Las Vegas, which was fun. So we were in Las Vegas for about six hours yesterday. And uh, that was planned, and got to go to the Cosmopolitan Hotel for a little while, gamble a little. I lost uh, 140 bucks on the craps table. I'm not surprised. I felt kind of rusty. I didn't feel real lucky on that table. And uh, But, yeah, got some good food and made the flight. Got home really late, and I've been kind of recovering today just from the long weekend. But, yeah, it was, it was fun. Uh, nice city, good to visit, and was glad I got to go to all of the games this year. Uh Except for Seattle when I had COVID, so I had to work from home for the Seattle home game. But, yeah, feeling good and excited for all of your questions and see what happens next. Nick Vassero is going to keep me hopping, I'm sure, this offseason. Oh, man, you're not lying. So, first we'll talk about the the game this weekend. Uh, Texans kind of come back to earth, losing 7-23 to to the 49ers in a game where they put up a measly 220 yards of offense. Defense looked lost, couldn't handle what San Francisco was throwing at them. Davis Mills comes back down to earth with 163, 163 yards passing. Rex Perkhead comes back down to earth with 47 yards rushing. So, you know, we're starting to see kind of what we saw in the middle of the season where the, the team just couldn't handle what, what the other side was presenting to them. The offensive line had a ton of pressure come through to get through to Mills. Uh, you know, the lack of adjustments in the second half, just, you know, you can rattle off a number of things, but kind of want to, it's kind of what you usually start with and just want to get your take just from a, you know, a high level view of, of what you saw in the game this weekend. Right. Troy, being there at Levi's stadium and feeling the momentum go away and the interception was definitely a pivotal moment where he made a poor decision and he made a rookie mistake. And, that's the thing you have to remember. He's a rookie. He will make mistakes. Even Tom Brady still throws interceptions. And Davis is not immune to, you know, making a error in judgment. And that was a football he shouldn't have thrown. 
and he threw it into traffic and just a, a poor decision. If you're going to play small ball, which is essentially what they're doing with the unbalanced line and the attempts to get into third and manageable and try to just, you know, really think and dunk your way down the field and play, want to play power football. You don't really have the personnel to do it. A lot of the things they're doing, I find them to be just watching it very stubborn from Tim Kelly, the offensive coordinator. And it's because they understand their limitations. And it's very easy for me to say, well, just air it out. They can't pass protect well enough to throw the football 40, 50 times. And they can't run the football well enough to play power football. The Chargers game is an anomaly. And I think everyone has to understand that. I think most people do that. Chargers didn't have their A game. They had a lot of guys on the COVID list. And you're playing the 49ers. And they were obviously worried about Nick Bosa. That's why a lot of the design plays, you know, they were trying to limit his impact. He's not the only guy, though. Arden Key had a great game. The 49ers are deep. Charles Omenahu used to be a starter for the Texans. They traded him there. He's a role player for the 49ers. They've got Fred Warner. They've got some real players. And I just think when you look at how physical – and how well coached the 49ers are, it was pretty much on full display that that's a team that has a plan, that has a system that works with Kyle Shanahan, and they have good backs that can hit the edges, get on the perimeter, get around you. And a lot of guys that can run after the catch, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. George Kittle didn't even have a monster game, and this is what happened. So, I mean, it – the only things I guess you can come away from this, they played okay. They went back to, they reverted, they regressed to where they used to be, which was, you know, somewhat competitive, kind of get the fans' hopes up a little bit in the first half, and then second half they regressed, and they outscored 20 nothing. The turnover was a big deal, and they essentially needed to play perfect. They were playing perfect football up until that point, and that was a pivotal moment. It was not reviewable, and I was the pool reporter. I'm the president of our Pro Football Writers of America chapter. I did the interview with referee Carl Strappers, and he said, you know, they blew the whistle. Well, they blew the whistle, that's it. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if anyone thinks there should have been a fumble. It's over. So there, there's really nothing that can be disputed, and that's what they explained to David Cully. That's what they explained to me, and that was the pool report that was distributed uh, by the league after – did a short interview with him after the game. But, yeah, my takeaways are just that they're not a good enough tackling team. They're not explosive enough. When you look at the running game, they're essentially a team. Brandon Cooks, and I know i uh, probably get some questions tonight about him, but, you know, Brandon is their most valuable player. And, you know, after Laramie Tunsil, who's injured, he's their most talented player. And they've got to get him the football even more. He had seven catches for six yards and a touchdown. He drew those pass interference penalties. It's still not enough. And, you know, none of this is a big revelation for any of you guys. I know you guys pay very close attention to this. But this was, I think, a good sobering reminder, you know, that this team has a lot of inadequacies and that next year could be similar to this year, even if they upgrade the roster significantly. They have a long way to go, I think, Nick Casario and the personnel department and the coaching staff are very realistic about where the team is. I like the effort. I say they did not get embarrassed. You know, they held up and it wasn't, you know, the worst loss they've had, but 
you know, I think it's frustrating probably for the fans to you know, kind of see they still have a long way to go and that will lead to the off season. But yeah, my takeaways from the game, it concerns me. Kaimi Fairburn still missing field goals, not stringing together, you know, more than you know, a couple good games in a row and you know, missing a kick. It's a very makeable field goal and he's got to do that. And you, know, you look at everything and it kind of snowballs, Troy. You think about where this team is and then some of the things, and I think they would trouble anyone. What's the point of that punt? That just didn't make sense to me. Not that it would have mattered. I know, I know. But I, I think the point is just that you're always, um, you know, you want to be in the fight. You want to, you want to die hard, as they, as they say. And I, I didn't like that call. But you know, I understand why he made it. And you know, at this point, you know, basically, you know, you've lost the game. But you know, why not try to go for it on fourth down? But none of these things you know, by themselves, it's it's a combination of things of why they lose. There's not one play. There's not one decision. There's not one deficiency. It's so many as we've, you know, been rattling them off, but they, you know, are a team that, you know, they deserve respect in the sense that they do give a professional effort. There are some football players that are keepers on this team and we'll see how Nick Casario, how he views it, which is going to be fascinating to watch. And Troy, it's just a, a matter of being better than they were against a tough NFC playoff team that I don't think a lot of people want to play, especially when they're at full strength. But I, th- I think it's uh, that's who the Texans are. They showed you again, this is the Texans. Yeah, you hit on a, a, a ton of points there. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of dive into different pieces of it as we go. You know, you kind of talked about the future a few different times, so we'll kind of start off there. And, uh, you know, I've, it seems like the message coming out of the team, you know, coming from Casario has kind of molded into from the last month of we understand this is a going to be a long process. We understand this is a, a big undertaking that, you know, trying to really, really dive in to, to the message of that this is not a, an overnight turn around in front of us. This is going to take time. And, you know, they started the message off at the beginning of the year was trust us. And then they made a, a flurry of move, moves in the off season to try to, you know, whatever message that sent to different fans. But at the end of the day, the messages seem to have been crafted more towards, okay, we know what we are and we know that this is going to be a long process and just let us take our time and get through this process. So, Given that the future, the first thing that ever on everybody's mind is David Coley and his future with the team. You know, Jeff Howell of the Athletic and then a few few other folks have reported it as well that that Coley's coming back next year by by all by all accounts. And the way I'm kind of viewing it, and maybe I'm I'm completely off on this, but the way I'm kind of viewing it is is that is going to be the message that the team is willing to bring him on for you know, keep him around for 2022. But if Casario does have his eye on a specific head coach option and that option becomes available, then he'll make the move. But it's, it also, I get the impression that Casario is willing to wait. If he does have his eye on a specific person that he's willing to wait another year for that option to come available and just forge ahead with Coley. You have any thoughts on that? 
Right, sure. The reason I haven't reported anything is I haven't been told that David Cully was in danger. So he's under contract, and I don't expect him to be fired. I've been checking on this for about six weeks, and the feedback I keep getting is, what's the point in firing him? They all understood what they were getting themselves into, and how could he fare better with this kind of roster. He's won the same amount of games that Roman Cornell did as the interim coach. He's won four more games than Bill O'Brien did last year. And you think about Cully and how much the deck was stacked against him and how much he had to learn, the learning curve, you know, everything. You know, he had never done press conferences before. He had everything that he had to pick up on with, you know, the roster, with managing the daily schedule with being the boss, with these game management decisions. And I know he's made mistakes, but how unfair would it be to go one and done with the guy when you knew exactly who he was? So then if you fire him, if you're Nick Casero, you recommend, I should say, to Cal McNair to fire him. If you did that, hypothetically, you're telling Cal McNair that we all made a mistake and you can hope that Cal will be like, okay, well, if that's what you think, then what's plan B? And can you get plan B? And can you do better? Than Josh McDaniels? Probably not. And my understanding is for Josh, and you know, he feels like he has some unfinished business with Mac Jones. And can't blame him. You know, they're off to a good start together. He could wind up succeeding Bill Belichick if he stays where he is. He could have his pick of some plum jobs in a year. There's also the possibility that Jacksonville, after they interview all these other guys, they might come to him. And they could talk to them. And maybe if they're not getting the coach that they want, who knows? Maybe they move on from Balky because obviously the feedback on Balky uh, around the league has been very negative that they're keeping Balky and the owner's close to him. So, yeah, I think that that's a really plum job because of Trevor Lawrence and the cap space and all those things. And if he could go there with Dave Ziegler, then I think he would do it. He's got good relationships with Nick Casario, with Jack Easterby. And I can totally see it happening. But I just don't think now is the time. And my expectation is Cully back and you chop it up and you see how he does next year. But, you know, he can improve. You know, obviously he got better at some things from the beginning of the season to now. And the team did not quit on him. That's a big deal. And it would have been very easy. Even people will tell you, well, no, they're playing for themselves. They're playing for their future. They're playing for the contract. You also got to play for your coach. And yeah, I talked to lots of people and, you know, the feedback I've had was it would be grossly unfair. I think they would get ripped quite a bit for firing him, similar to what happened with Steve Wilkes when he went one and done with Arizona. And they got lucky. They went up with Kyler Murray, they went up with Cliff Kingsbury, and it worked out. I think Nick Casero is very pragmatic. And if you don't get plan B, Roy, do you get to make plan C? You get to hire a third coach. I think he probably could, but is that how he wants to operate? No. I think they would love to grow with David Cully and see where it goes. So, yeah, my expectation, and that's the thing. Like sometimes, uh, and again, I have a little bit different approach to this, Troy, when it comes to reporting. I like to report news. I don't like to report like something that you know, is kind of like, okay, yeah, that's pretty obvious. And I just don't sense that. I've never had someone tell me, this guy's in trouble. I've heard a little bit about some conversations, a lot of secondhand, and I had a lot of coaching agents telling, asking me, 
well, shouldn't the job be open? Because they want their clients to have this job. And they also want more competition when you come to negotiating. So you have to think about, when you think about national media, why is there always these doomsday, you know, sort of Black Monday scenarios? Why are there so many names floated uh, from the national outlets? That's how you get the clicks. That's how you get the headlines. But I like to deal in facts and like to stick with what's logical, not just hypotheticals and a bunch of, oh, this job, this job, that makes sense to me. It's not just connect the dots. It's whether the owner feels that way. It's whether the general manager, if the general manager is the boss, does he feel that way? And, yeah, there's you can make an argument for firing him or you can make an argument that you shouldn't have hired him if you want to do that. But the point is, he's the coach, and he's got some allies. He used to, you know, you think about some of the things he's done with Kansas City, with Philadelphia, with Baltimore. He's been around some successful people. He's learned from the Andy Reeds, the John Harbaugh's, back in Texas A&M, R.C. Slocum. Uh, I think the guy, you give him another chance, and – it's very possible that you know if he doesn't make progress next year, then maybe then you make a decision. But going one and done, how flaky would Cal McNair look, and how can you get a strong coach in here? The organizations you want to be like are the Pittsburghs. They've had Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, and Mike Tomlin, three coaches. Yeah, and Kevin Colbert. And Kevin Colbert. Colbert has been the GM there for like. A decade, so <laughs> like Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore. They started off obviously with the expansion with Ted Marchabroda, kind of a caretaker type, maybe not completely unlike what this is like. And then you find someone you think is more dynamic in Brian Billick. You win a Super Bowl, then Billick. The message gets a little stale. Maybe he gets a little, you know, really he kind of hits a wall, and they're tuning him out. And I was there, and I, you know, I, I knew that. And then you go out of the box with the special teams coach and John Harbaugh and Steve Bishotti had a gut feeling that he was a leader. I remember talking to him in the hallway when they had just interviewed him. We're just visiting. We're was an interview. We're just hanging out. I'm there. I'm sort of, they let you stake out the building. We could just sit there and I literally would watch coaches come in. There's Brian Schottenheimer. There's Jason Garrett. Here's Harbaugh. And he had a gut feeling when he met him. That Harbaugh was a leader. He's from the technical staffing business. Bashadi's self-made billionaire. And he said, Aaron, I got a good feeling about this. I think that's the guy. There's just something about him. I like the idea that he'll earn his resume with me. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know that David Kelly's John Harbaugh. I, I don't think that, but I think you got to give him a chance. And that, that's my to take on, on Cully and, and where he stands. And if they change their mind, they change their mind. But I think they'll look, look bad it look like, well, what kind of research did you do? Why didn't you do a better job of vetting him? You know, and remember, this is a point I don't think a lot of people have made. They put together the staff for the majority. They identified the Lovey Smiths. Frank Ross is like a little brother to Nick Casario. He was a scout for the Patriots. They're extremely close. So if you blow up the staff, because I don't think too many coaches – if you want a better coach, you're going to come in here and be like, yeah, I'm just coming in to coach, but I'll, I'll keep all of your staff or most of your staff. It doesn't work that way. They've got guys that they've been planning for years. They've got lists. If you bring in someone like Josh McDaniels, you're going to have to bring in his coaches. And it won't be all of these coaches that are staying. So I look at it, Troy, and it just seems so unlikely. And no one's told me 
that's in a position to know that he's in danger. So if he does, it'll be a surprise. And I, I don't think it's, I don't think a surprise is coming. Okay. I think they've made their decision and that's where they're going. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I, I mean, I see both sides of the coin and you make some very valid points for, for the reason for him to stick around. And, and you mentioned Lovey Smith and obvious, I think the obvious thing would be is if things do not work out in 2022, Lovey Smith is, and would be an exceptional interim coach, you know, mid season uh, option. If, if something were to not work out throughout the season in 2022. So yeah, no, you make, make a bunch of valid points. I, I do think keeping him outweighs the negative. Once you factor in all the points that you've brought in, you know, the coaching staff, what else would need to be changed? So yeah, no, those are, those are great points. And you know, on that point, and Ryan, I, I see you got a request in there. We'll get to you in just a minute, man. Um, and Patrick had a question, same question I had as well, is, you know, the team, they redid the website. I don't know how how far back, but they took off a majority of the front, the front office staff. Like, you go on there, and it's just like Casario, Easterby, just the, the, the director and, and VP and general manager. It's a very short list, and – you know, is is the front office? Is James Lipford still there? Is Matt Barzigan still there? I mean, do do you anticipate any kind of changes on the front office side of things, on the personnel side of things? Because that I think, if I, my memory serves me correct, they're almost kind of like co-directors at this point under Casario, right? Yeah, no, James Lipford is up and coming, and he was given a new title where he went from director of college scouting to director of personnel. He primarily is on the college side. They've been teaching him things about the salary cap, teaching him about pro personnel. Matt Bazergen is still there, and I do expect them both back. I don't see Lip going to, say, the Giants, so I think they're either going to go Kevin Abrams or Monty Austin Ford. I just don't see Lip leaving. So my expectation is Lip's the one with the upper mobility. Bazergen is a Brian Gain hire, and He's someone that has proven to be, as they say, a good Marine. He's loyal. He's hardworking. He's well-connected. He's the person that organizes a lot of these tryouts. When you see, you know, when they have, you know, not, these are wonderful moves, but that Dominic Eberle is on the ready list and they get Dominic in here and then Dominic makes those field goals. That's because he's got a good list. He's good at you know, compiling that. And these are things that Rob Kissel used to do. Rob never got, not really any attention, but Rob was good at it. He was steady, and that's what Matt is. And Lip has got the eye. He's a really good scout for the college players. He has deep roots in the Southeastern Conference and other leagues, but he's someone that he'll have a major imprint on this draft class, and he's out there scouting all the time. So, yeah, he's good. Yeah, um, I've, he's seen, I've seen Lipford's name kind of creeping into some uh, – yeah, some articles, like ran, articles out there that are you know up and coming potential GM candidates down the road kind of those thing. Those lists are, are, are quite long, and it's a compliment to be on them. Um, I don't sense that there's any fast track. You know, he's going to keep learning. He's loyal to Nick Casario. He's someone that you know definitely has some upper mobility, is well respected, and you know he'll just keep growing. He's a younger guy. He's got a great future in the business, and. They've got some good scouts. They've got some people. They don't really want you to see the scouting list. Uh, does that really matter? I don't know. 
uh, they used to look at, you know, they had all of that on there. And sometimes someone would disappear, including Amy Palsik one day from, from public relations or Kevin Krakowicz from the salary cap. And then uh, you confirm that they are, in fact, fired. Now you can't see that. And it was almost like it was being updated in real time. But that's a different story. But yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing a, a change with those guys. But yeah, to, to answer your question as far as clout, you know, Matt, even though they have the same title, Nick is in charge of everything. I mean, you know, Matt will set the table for him with some rankings of free agents, some recommendations. Nick works out most of the free agents himself personally. He does a lot of the work on that. And then Lip is the guy that you were wondering, well, who's going to know the most about, say, Stingley or Kyle Hamilton or Evan Neal? It's going to be him. He's going to have watched the, probably the most tape and have seen the most games in person, been all over at the college games and have a deep knowledge, and along with the area scouts. But, yeah, that's, that's who James Lipford is. And he comes from New England, so former Georgia Tech, walk-on linebacker and, uh, like when the University of Houston's having their pro day, he's running their pro day. The Tim that's last year with Peyton Turner headed to the first round, he's the guy running the drills. I'm speaking on that, you know, on front office and the team. What about Tim Kelly, offensive coordinator, and his future with the team, or or is not, or if he does have a future with the team, if he doesn't, then is Pep Hamilton the obvious elevation versus going outside? Yeah, it's not just connect the dots on this one. There's a possibility that they could change. I don't think Tim really has the personnel to do a lot of different things or really to be as wide open. You know, you saw last year what the passing game was like when he had a Deshaun Watson and they had Larry Tunsil out there pass blocking. It was different. And this year, you know, with Tunsil out, with a rookie quarterback and before that, you know, journeyman and Tyrod Taylor, the offense is not dynamic. It's plotting. And, you know, Tim is extremely limited in what he can do. He wasn't only retained, though, because of the Watson factor. A lot of people simplify that. He's someone that they thought enough of that they declined. Other teams wanted to interview him for offensive coordinator positions. So they were dying permission. And it's not out of the realm of possibility he could be back. It's not a sure thing that he's like some sort of dead man walking. If he does get fired, I think Pep Hamilton gets the shot. And Pep has a good relationship with Davis Mills. So does Tim Kelly. And Tim, I think, has done a decent job of bringing along Davis. And it's not ideal when you have to bench a quarterback. You have an injury at the quarterback position when he's off to a good start, and then you have to change. The biggest thing I would say is that these running backs, this was a terrible evaluation, and I don't know if Nick's going to you know, put his hand up and say, yeah, but it's obvious you know, that the David Johnson, Rex Burkhead, for lesser extent, Mark Ingram, they didn't get this right when it came to the running back position. And I'm not sure who could run behind that offensive line the way they constructed it. They seemed to, once Howard was at tackle and they had better guards, it you know became a more tenable situation, but you know, if they fire him, they fire him. That's what happens sometimes when you're ranked. Somebody could be the scapegoat. It could be Tim, but I'm not saying that. I'm not reporting that. I haven't heard that they will definitely fire him. That's something that I think they'll evaluate and make a decision. 
And he may want to go get a job. That's the thing, too. He may have opportunities. They may let him interview for things. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, but, yeah they've got an eye in-house that they can promote in Pep. Yeah, and it, it would be interesting. I would guess my one thing with Tim Kelly exploring other options would be if Bill O'Brien takes a, a head coaching job either back in the NFL or along the college circuit after his OC stint with Alabama, and maybe Kelly would, no one, would follow yeah, him. No, nobody, nobody's called for Bill O'Brien. Really? Okay. He, yeah, Bill, Bill doesn't have a, a burdened hand. He's got nothing going right now. I think he's done a solid job with Alabama. Obviously, they have the Heisman winner, and they've, you know, they've done some good things, and he's a part of that. But they also are, you know, a football powerhouse, and they're a machine. So we'll see. I, I think that's probably a year away. And for Bill, changing all the time, moving every year, especially with his family's health situation with his son, that is not something that he's super interested in. So it's a big deal for him to. It was a good opportunity. It's been a nice fit so far. It's worked. He's out there recruiting. He's doing all the things that an assistant coach does under Nick Saban. And I think eventually he does get back into the mix, whether it's a power five school and college might even be the best best fit for him, I think, because, you know, there's only so much you can do with the pros as far as being that kind of, you know, hard nosed personality and getting them to respond. That generally isn't what works in the NFL. There are only so many Bill Belichick's one. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'd, it it just seems like an easy easy dot to connect with Kelly and O'Brien. So yeah, yeah uh, we'll, Bill's got to get Bill's got to get a job though. That's yeah, that's what, yeah, that's exactly uh, Bill, it. I Bill did. was not a hot commodity. Yeah, I mean, that's after interesting. Houston, he, His name yeah. was popping up when these uh, the hedge co- hedge co- head coaching you know when R- Lincoln Riley and these different folks were flying around and O'Brien's name started nope, popping up. So that's, that's just that's just media stuff. That's and or his agent. It's nothing real. Yeah. There's no uh, my. I, I've asked about that too. I haven't. Yeah. Heard Bill O'Brien uh, on some kind of short list. Okay. All right. Well, we'll shift back over to, I guess Ryan dropped out. He wanted to ask a question. Maybe we answered his question while we were talking. Um, if you want to take some questions or do you have more? Yeah, right now. We got, we'll got we'll got some more stuff to hear. Talk. We'll see if anybody pumps in with another question. Um, yeah. So, Justin Reed, I think on uh, Instagram, I think uh, – Lopez tweeted it out. I think was the first one to hit it. You know, he kind of portrayed it as kind of a goodbye message, the way it was framed on framed on his Instagram yeah. account. And you know, it's There's it's no definitely there. huh. There's no news there. Yeah, I do not know why people thought that. We've known for the whole year that he's gone. He is not in a negotiation with them. Has never been in one. He has very high expectations financially. And he hasn't had a great season. He'll still have a good market. He is out of here. He's gone. He will be a free agent, and he will not be in the negotiation with the Texans. Whether anyone wants to say, yeah, hey, you know, we could always talk. I'm just brutally honest. He is out of here, and it's not like anything like he hates it. He had a good experience. Like he said, everything he's saying is, is true and honest. But, yeah, he's gone. And it wasn't today that was some sort of revelation. That's something I've known since. Actually, I would say it's been like a year that it's been clear that this would go this way. 
And most people don't want to pay big money for a safety. I can't see Nick Casario doing it and don't anticipate them being in any kind of negotiation. There's lots of other negotiations they could get into. That's not going to be one of them. Yeah. And I, I personally, I don't, I know Reed has high expectations and uh, you know, for, for a financial standpoint for him as a contract going forward. I just don't see him getting the type of market type of contract. Yeah, that he's expecting. I wonder what it's going to be like, Troy, you know, you know, he'd like to be in that 15, 16. No. And I'm wondering, is he going to get to double figures? No. Yeah. And I, I, th- I was thinking like eight to 12 million a year at most. Yeah. And it could be, and it could be less. And uh, if, if that's the case, if that's what the market tells you. Yeah. And he, he's got a great agent in Joel Siegel, one yeah. of the best agents in the business, right up there with the David Mulligettas and the Rosenhausts. And he's outstanding. And he's got the relationships, the leverage channel managers, but if they don't look at him as an impact player, you just have to watch the tape. You know, Justin did make got to a fast start, but there's also a lot of missed tackles. There are, you know, sometimes where I think his stats were affected by Lonnie Johnson Jr. not being able to play the other safety spot. And that caused Justin sometimes to have to play out of position, cut down on some of his opportunities. Those could have been some of his interceptions uh, that Lonnie had. So, yeah, was he capable, I think, of a five, six interception season? Yes, absolutely. I think in the right scheme on a strong team, Justin Reed has more untapped potential and he could be a better tackler. That's something I think that he's going to work on the fundamentals of tackling and get a little better. He's got the hitting ability, but, yeah, sometimes he just doesn't wrap up well. But, yeah, that's that's definitely one. He is out of here. Yeah. No, no surprise there. So, I mean, I, yeah, I just, his market value, I've been, been trying to wrap my head around it. It is, it's been just not very, it's just not come together in my head of what he's so thinking he's going to get there. I mean, and safety and is so weird. I mean, there's been, what was it, two or three years ago, the safety market was just absolutely horrible. And then it, it, it exploded back when, when Matthew and, uh, Tyron Matthew got his big deal and Landon Collins got his big deal and things like that. And then it kind of kept going with Kevin Byard and, and Justin Simmons. And I'm looking at and, these, these APYs and, you know, you look at where these guys are at. Jamal Adams, 17 and a half. Her, Harrison Smith, 16. Justin Simmons, 15.25. He's nowhere Does he get to Buda Baker, 14.75. Eddie Jackson, Kevin Byard, 14.1. Tyron Matthew, 14. Landon Collins, 14. Yeah. I think – the sweet spot would be if he could hit Devin McCourty's yeah. number, the 11.5, or maybe a little higher than that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, with a lot of it guaranteed. To me, yes. Do I like him more than some of these other guys? Yeah, I, I do. But, you know, you think about Poyer and Hyde. They don't make $10 million a year, and they are very productive, and they tackle very well. They make a lot of good plays. The Bills tandem – has he played as well as those guys? No, I don't think you can make that argument objectively. And I like Justin. I think uh, Justin's a good guy. He was a good soldier about some things. Uh, he did have the one you know, flare-up with David Culley and Chris Conley, and they got past that. That was a, a one-week hiccup. But uh, and then there was some back and forth on that thing as far as you know what happened and why. But it's old, old news now. But, yeah, he is out of here, and we'll just see how much he gets paid. Yeah. Wish him well. All right, we're going to take a question from Ryan. And then, uh, Chuck, I see you got a request in, man. We'll get to you in a few minutes. Just hang tight. 
Ryan, what is going on, my man? How's it going, Cap? Not too bad. Hey, what's up? Um, how you doing, Aaron? Uh, Aaron, since you're on, I I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Um, I have two questions. One, you know, the big story this offseason is obviously going to be the Watson situation. I was just wondering if you heard anything, you know, at all about that. And then my other question for you was um, a year into Casario as GM, what's kind of your viewpoint on how he's done and how do you think he might change his strategy in the offseason, if at all, compared to last offseason? Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. Great questions. Yeah, starting on Watson, obviously complicated by the legal situation. There's some hope for closure as far as criminal charge or not criminally charged at the end of this month. And it is the expectation that you know, you're not looking at a grand jury. It's just a matter of does he get directly charged by the Harris County Police Department? And my understanding from sources is there's no DNA, audio, or video evidence. So it is a he said, she said. And it's just a matter of do they feel comfortable without hard evidence to directly charge him and recommend charging him with a misdemeanor, which will be indecent assault. And then if he was charged, what's next? Well, predictable scenario. You know, commissioners exempt the not guilty plea, maybe some wrangling about, you know, plea bargaining. We'll see. And it could tie him up if he goes the whole nine yards and goes through the court process for the rest of the year, which would mean stuck on their roster, being paid $35 million, and a very unenviable scenario for the Texans and for Deshaun Watson missing a second year in a row due to this legal problem, which is a very serious one. And these are allegations and I take the allegations seriously. There are, uh, you know, obviously they're making some, you know, very, uh, <clears throat> you know, big accusations, but you have to prove it. And, you know, we're at a climate now where it is a little different, uh, you know, where you, you've got to, you know, think about, the totality of the amount of accusers, all of those things. And it's very complicated. And then if you're the district attorney, do you think you can win? And, you know, her and, and Rusty Harden have kind of a rival. Kim Og is the district attorney. Rusty Harden is the attorney for Deshaun Watson. The other big thing is the settlements are easier to accomplish rather than, you know, it's very simple with criminal matters. You're either charged or you're not. If he is not charged criminally and there's a chance that he won't be there's also a chance they will be you know it's, it's i don't like to you know especially uh, make a lot of predictions when it comes to legal outcomes i won't consider myself a lawyer or an expert in that realm i've talked to a lot of people i've had people tell me they don't think he'll be charged i've had people that say you know there's a chance and these are people connected to the situation it's definitely something that with busby Tony Busby is the plaintiff's attorney or represents most of the plaintiffs and he is going to push it when it comes to settlement talks. It's going to be expensive and not all of the accusers want to, you know, they want to tell their story. They want to be heard. And that is another wrinkle in this as well. And that's their right. And that's the uh, you know legal system. That's our court system. That's the American justice system. 
at play. And they all have their rights, and so does he. And he has a right to be considered innocent until proven guilty. He hasn't been charged with a crime, and they are allegations. Nothing's proven that that happened in any case. There's been some admission, you know, Rusty Harden in a press conference admitted to some consensual text. That's basically that's what his client told him. We don't know. We weren't there. We don't know what happened. And where this affects trade stuff, that you can't put football before legal. Can't put the car before the horse. Until the legal is solved or, you know, something where you know, it's at least in limbo, then if you're the other team and you're taking on Deshaun Watson, you're taking on the public relations fallout, you're taking on the loss of draft capital, and you're paying his salary. So you're taking him off the Texans' hands. If you're the Miami Dolphins, you're Stephen Ross, and you got close to doing that before, do you do it again? I think Tua Tagovailoa has done enough to open the door for the Dolphins to re-engage this offseason. I believe they will. That's the destination he wants. That's the team he wants to waive his no-trade clause for. I know people have talked about Cleveland. They've brought up the Saints. But just because a reporter thinks that the team is a good idea, it doesn't matter. It matters what Deshaun Watson wants, what his agent, David Mulligetta, wants, and what the Texans are able to do. Of course they would have preferred to trade him in the NFC. How would you like to send him to the Miami Dolphins and then maybe a couple years from now the Texans are a different situation? What if they're a playoff team and they lose to him in the playoffs? How bad is that? That's a real possible scenario looking way down the road. But yeah, when I think and Ryan, when I think about the trade possibility, it's something that there's so many boxes that have to be checked to get to that point. Hindsight being 2020, the best thing they could have done is if they you know were fortune tellers, they're Nostradamus, get out of this thing before the cases and trade him before teams start having some pause. I know there are other teams that are interested, the Denver Broncos, the Philadelphia Eagles did a ton of due diligence. They sent their security director down here. The Dolphins hired local counsel to look into the case. Local counsel, not Rusty Harden, but an unaffiliated uh, plugged-in lawyer, told the Dolphins that charges are unlikely based on his connections with the police department, district attorney's office. But that is not ironclad. And that's the thing. With anything, there's a risk. Like playing the stock market. What do they tell you? Go with God. You know, good luck. There's a risk factor with all of this. But his talent is so great, so deep, that he's the kind of guy that you take a risk for. That's where that stands. As far as Nick Casario, I think Nick is very logical. He's a good evaluator. He makes good moves. He works very hard. He's very diligent. He has been as advertised. His draft class, a lot of it, you know, those are solid players. They are guys that are not franchise players, but they're drafted later. They're little building blocks. He did pretty well with Davis Mills there in the third round. Look at him as a third-round pick where he's drafted as opposed to these first-round picks. He's outplayed a lot of those guys that are very highly touted, like Zach Wilson, like Trevor Lawrence. He's played well. He's had a solid season. I don't think this is his ceiling. I think there's more that he can do. Is he going to be an outstanding backup, or is he going to be a solid winning starter when you have the right personnel around him? I can only imagine what it would be like if he had a good running back and a better offensive line and some more weapons to throw to. 
He's got some weapons. He's got some, you know, he's got Brandon Cooks, he's got Brevin Jordan, he's got Nico Collins, but, you know, Farrell Brown faded from after the decent start to the season. And, you know, he's become a penalty machine. I, I look at where they are with Nick and he brought in some solid pros. They got more out of guys like Malik Collins, who played very badly for Las Vegas last year. He's playing like he did when he was with Dallas. Conor Gruger Hill has never played this well in his entire career. So he's been a good scheme fit for Lovey Smith and his 4-3 defense. They've admitted mistakes when they've made them, like Shaq Lawson. I don't have a problem with anyone that's willing to admit a mistake and say, you know what, it didn't work, but you can't be afraid to try. And I think that, yeah, I mean, obviously he's just one year in, and your record is how you're judged ultimately. But I think that he's headed in the right direction, and I have some faith and trust in him that he's going to make good decisions. I know he's going to have all the information, work very hard, go through a process, and do what you would expect from a guy that's that season that has six Super Bowl rings. I think he's he's what you expected. Yeah, and I think on the second part of the question, Ryan, with how aggressive we're going to see Casario, I don't know – there's two, there's kind of two definitions for aggressive and there's, you know, quantity. And then there's how much money he's going to spend specific to not just total, but on each individual player. And I think when you look at it and the team currently has, I think 31 players under contract for 2022, you know, you, you got, we'll just say for the sake of the argument, he's, he signs a, you know, 15, 15 of the 16 practice squad players to, to reserve contracts you know, maybe a couple other reserve contracts, and that gets them up to, you know, 47, 48 contracts heading into free agency. So you're looking at another 40 open spots on the roster between draft and free agency. So I think you're going to, I think you're going to see another barrage of quantity and free agent signings like we saw this year. Probably not as many. You know, we're not going to see the 50 plus free agent signings like we did before, but I still think you're going to see a good a good amount of signings and it's probably not going to be wave one. It's probably going to be wave two, wave three, like we saw again this year, unless he just really has his eye on somebody in, in wave one and is willing to spend some money. Depends on if he can free up a little bit of money, you know, with some player releases, you know, we, you know, the Marcus Cannons, the, the Kaimi Fairbairns, the Eric Murray, Kevin Pierre Lewis, players like that, that could easily be, you know, cap casualties, as we start into the free agency of 2022 period. So a lot of those things we'll just kind of see, I think it will be just overall, I think it will be busy again with just, you know, how he molds and builds this roster through free agency, through draft, through undrafted might be a little bit different than what we saw in 2021. I think with the overall, the undrafted class, not only for Houston was historically small, but just overall across the league, the undrafted, free agency class was small. And I think that was a function of, of COVID and, and the lack of, of availability on scouting. So I think we might see a return back to a a more standardized class size of undrafted, you know, the 12 to 15 players, things like that. So I think overall it's going to be busy. I just don't know that you're going to see any of the wave one signings again, as they continue this rebuild, I think 2023 is going to be the year that you start seeing things like that. All right, let's see here. Chuck has been patiently waiting like he always does. we got 76 listeners tonight, so we're going strong. 
See a lot of familiar faces as usual. See Figgy Fig in here, so good to see him again. So we will go to Chuck. Give him some speaking rights. He's always got good questions. Chuck, welcome. Hey, Cap. Uh, thanks, Cap. Uh, good evening, and uh, uh, good evening, Aaron. I hope everything is well. And, uh, you know, you, you guys were talking about uh, Nick Asario and, and uh, took a lot of my – answered a lot of questions, and I appreciate that in-depth uh, analysis. Fantastic, because you know how I feel about it. And um, I guess basically we got to – remember and this is more of a comment and i do have a uh kind of a i guess a question about it but um overall i i just i think he's done an outstanding job because of the fact that you know you got to farm these guys literally off the street times two um with with the the covid environment so i think he's done a fantastic job with that and you know a lot of these players we probably never will see again but then again you see him doing his due diligence so i think he's done a fantastic job and uh, so with that being said, um, you know, I, I, everybody makes fun. And, and, and I think Cap knows about how I feel about this, Aaron. But, I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm, this is the, the culture. They talk about the culture, the culture, the culture. And um, everybody doesn't want to hear it. But I'll be honest with you. I, I was kind of a buy-in on this because, um, you know, if you don't establish the internal rules, regs, and all that, you can't have a base and this past week with what, not to bring in another sport, another, uh, I guess, uh, team in turmoil, but when you bring in, for example, the Rockets and what happened there, in, in, in my opinion, being out, out here as a fan, as a Houston fan, a Rockets fan, along with being a Texan fan, I mean, they, they kind of bundled that uh, situation up. So where I'm getting at with this is when you see these cryptic tweets from Lonnie Johnson and 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 from Reed and things like this, I, we got to remember we've been beaten up as a fan base for so long that we really just get very nervous when we see that from these guys. But that's like being the world's tallest midget here. Those guys can beat it. They can pack sand because you know they knew the rules, they knew the regs, they knew the expectations. And if you want to be that person that 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 kind of shines a light on themselves when things are bad, then who does need you? And and that's you know that's what I do appreciate about what what Casario has done. And even though we you know I, I I'm, I'm not a big Coley guy, but um, and they're they're gonna stay the course. And so you know that foundation, you're gonna have that 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 like that culture fit. And you know I, I can at least appreciate it. you know where they're coming from. So you know like I said before, if we had a team that was playoff every year or like we were not too long but we were consistently we could overlook those we, we could put up with it or whatever the case is because there's a good team but at this point those distractions they do need to go so i mean if, if you want to go ahead and, and, and put that out there put your business out there put your opinions out there as far as i'm concerned as a texan fan go ahead and just pack that if we want out then that's my opinion so that being said yeah is, that there, said, is there a question chuck <laughs> yeah, I'm getting that point. Sorry. Right. So my question, we yeah, sorry. My no, question fine. was, is, yeah, I know, I know. My question was, is that being said with the the safety issues, you know, if Johnson's gone and and Reed's gone, I don't know if I was in here at this point, but what what would they do with the safeties uh, with with Murray? Um, is that more creation thing? Is that going to be seriously looked at the draft? Yeah, yeah I mean, go, go ahead, go ahead, Aaron. Oh, you go ahead, Chuck. All right. Well, I mean, just. Uh, I think they can. 
All right, let, hang on. So, just real quick. So, if if Reed is gone and and Murray's a cap casualty, let's just assume that that uh, Lonnie Johnson sticks around for at least to start with. You know, that's that's going to leave a big void in the in the safety. I mean, Jonathan Owens is under contract for twenty twenty two. But, you know, I mean, I think he's just a, a role special type, special team type player. I'm not sure that he's somebody you really want on the field all the time. So at that point, the team's going to have to either go out to free agency or maybe they use, a, you know, if they end up with the third overall pick, then maybe you look at Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame, who seems to be in, you know, all, you know, all things advertised as a safety. So the team has options, but I do think you're going to see – a big turnover in the secondary, you know, you Tavier Thomas and Terrence Mitchell are under contract next year, you know, Desmond King. I, I know some folks are saying that he should get resigned. I'm not entirely sure he's on board with resigning with this team, but the whole secondary specifically, the safety is going to look drastically different next year. So go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, I agree with Detroit. They are planning to overhaul the secondary. I think that they will look at, the corners that are on the market and they'll consider them. You know, I think JC Jackson, someone to keep an eye on. I think that they will, you know, be pretty open-minded about the safeties and very honest, you know, if you talk yourself into thinking that all of a sudden you plug in as athletic as he is and Jonathan Owens runs a four, three, six, and he had a good game against the chargers. But if you think that makes him a starter, I think you're not aiming high enough. I think he deserves to be on the team. He should be one of your backups, though. And, you know, he's uh, a good piece to have. And Unfortunately, he's got five torn wrist ligaments. So wish Jonathan a speedy recovery. Uh, he got hurt pretty badly, dislocated his wrist, has a small fracture. So, yeah, tough injury. He'll be back, though. And I know he'll work hard to come back. But, yeah, you're looking at should you keep Murray, who I think played a little better. If you can fix his contract, maybe they should think about it. That's just something, you know, I know that that wouldn't be very popular, but you got to have some guys. Do you bring back Terrence Brooks? I don't think Terrence played great football, but I think he played okay. A.J. Moore, to me, is a special teamer, not a safety, but he's someone that does have a possibility to be retained, to be one of the safeties on the team and have a role. So, yeah, I could see A.J. coming back. And Lonnie... To me, he's a corner. Safety is not a good spot for him. If you have to make him a safety again, then you've got problems. Now, Lonnie had some deficiencies in terms of how deep he was dropping and allowing too many th- big plays. Uh, I know he made the three interceptions, but to me, Lonnie did not have a real plus year to the point where you want him to be you know, one of those guys. And Desmond King... I think he was a stopgap, and he did make some plays, and he did a few nice things. But I'm not thinking that it's not about him whether he wants to come back, whether they ask him to come back. So that's something to be determined. Could see it going in the direction of him not coming back. So we'll see. I'll be a little mildly surprised if they do a new deal for Desmond King. And he delved into a lot of culture stuff that obviously that's ground that's been covered. But I'll just weigh in. You either stand for something or you stand for nothing. And when you are a losing team, if you let things unravel and you let you know a lot of things stand, at some point you're going to have more and more discipline issues. It's his first year as head coach. 
I can tell you this, at least on the Zach Cunningham front, everything that he did this year, he did when Bill O'Brien was the coach. Bill O'Brien did not discipline him as far as ever affecting his playing time or throwing him under the bus. And those were things that we were aware of that he was late, things like that. If there's no discipline, then there's really no news. And that's kind of my realm for like what I do reporting. If a guy's not actually being punished, he's just late and that's tolerated, then that's not really very newsworthy. Just like, you know, my goal is not to be the COVID police. You know, if the guy's test positive, he's on the list, he's on the list. But, you know, as far as did this guy wear a mask at this or that type of thing, I, I at some point, my job is not to be a, uh, a cop, you know, on the beat. I do my best to report. And I try to make a lot of decisions about what I'll report, what I don't report, how far in depth do I go with why a guy was late, what happened the night before, all those things. So, yeah, just to give you guys sort of a window into my thinking on discipline issues, uh, you know, it is a bit of a strict, tough atmosphere, but they have certain standards, and they're the same ones they are in other teams. And you'll be on time, play hard, pay attention, be ready to go to work. It's not that hard. And if you don't do those things, then they've shown that they will have consequences. You're going to be you know, on the shelf. You're not going to play. Or you off the team like that. Chuck understands consequences. He's 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 former military, so he understands that. <laughs> Absolutely. Chuck, you yeah, got anything else fight. tonight, man? Yeah, one, one last follow-up there. Um, so I'm, I'm not keen on the first-round safety, for example. I'm not either. Um, but is, is there is – there, yeah, y'all guys know this is getting deep. I mean, is there a second-day – option i mean i guess maybe lower first round for safety or uh for safety quarterbacks are one thing but is there anything that y'all guys might know about maybe a second day choice because that's what reed was and uh that's all i got thanks guys i i right i personally don't have yeah i haven't really dove into it myself i haven't looked at it that closely but there's jaquan brisker from penn state there's daxton hill from michigan and then if you're thinking day two jordan battle from alabama Verone McKinley the third out of Oregon. So there are a fair amount of safety prospects, and there's no real need to unless you think that Kyle Hamilton is a Hall of Famer, that he's like Harrison Smith, which he might be. You know, he's awful good. Then there's some other safeties you can get. Remember, they're drafting high in every round. They got, you know, read where they got him. I mean, you can think about even all the way down to Brad Hawkins from Michigan, you know, Isaiah Polamoa, uh, these guys have traits. I mean, there's plenty of safeties. I don't think that, you know, there's any reason why you have to force the position. You can go all the way down. Like the seventh-ranked safety is Yusuf Corker from Kentucky, and he had a good season. You know, there's guys from Louisville. There's Kendrick Duncan. I think you, you can get another safety, and the possibility of them, if they can find a rookie starter, to me that's a really – that's a better outcome than chasing it in free agency. I don't think that they will. All right, Chuck. Thanks for uh, as always with your questions. So we're at an hour. We'll uh, keep going for a little bit longer. We covered a lot yeah, of points tonight. Yeah, no, we we covered a bunch of points so far. We kind of kind of divert back to the the Texans roster at this point. A couple of a couple other options I want to take a look at and get your take, Aaron. Was you know the, uh, Laramie Tunsil? It's obvious he's not going to play again this year, and you know it, it's. It's, it seems to be a very viable option to 
to trade him in the offseason to get out from underneath that contract. I know folks, you know, really kind of dive in on the, the cap, you know, the cap perspective of it and the amount of dead money that you're going to have from it. And there is some cap savings, but as I always say, cash is king. And when you can save, you know, 16, $17 million in cash, $35 million in cash over two years by trading a player, then it's definitely an option if it's something that is the direction that Casario wants to take. And, you know, Tunsil, you know, as we, you know, Aaron and I, we've talked about it before, Tunsil has a lot of, has a lot of interest off the field. And I'm not saying that he doesn't take the game serious, but he, if, if the team can find a market for him and I say by market, I say a market that would be good for him outside of the game. In addition to playing the game, I think that would be very attractive to him. And I think he would do well. I mean, he's a very good pass blocker, the run game. Eh, he's just so, so, but it's just tough to look at the future when, you know, he's only got two years left on his contract. And if you do keep him, you're going to have to do another contract after 2022. And you know, it's going to be top of the market, uh, you know, top of the market contract again. So it's just at this point, it makes more sense in my eyes to save the $35 million in cash and draft another tackle. And whether that's a right tackle or you draft someone like Evan Neal who plays left tackle, and then you shift Howard back to right tackle and then run that, you know, run that going forward and, you know, save that cash and gives you a little more, a little better cash budget towards other free agents. Not so much from cap cap dollar perspective, but from a cash perspective, that's, you know, kind of what you're looking like. So, you know, and it, I've said it before on here, and I, I kind of I continue to have this opinion that you're not going to get more than probably a second-round pick for Tunsil at this point, maybe a future first, a 2023 first. But, uh, Aaron, what are your thoughts on, on Tunsil? I mean, do, does the team keep him? Does, does the team trade him? You know, what are your thoughts? I think they'll explore – the trade markets, but it's going to have to be something where, as you say, they're getting a second round pick or a package of picks. They'd like to get a first round pick, but what you want and what you get are always you know, can be two different things. When it comes to Laramie, what's the point of having an elite pass protector when you don't really have a great passing game? And, you know, he's not exactly the most you know, road grading you know, run blocker. So I would, if I'm them, I would get out of it. Even if you're having to kind of reduce your expectations, even if it's like a Bradley Roby type of deal where, you know, you're getting a third round pick. I think that they're better off moving forward when you're not that competitive. He's a luxury item. It's not a necessity to have Laramie Tunsil. And I think very highly of Laramie, when I look at the situation, he had a real injury. He had to have surgery. If there had been any point in him coming back, there would have been more of a push for that. There really wasn't a lot of point in it. And even though that might upset some fans, well, you should want to play. They're paying you a lot of money. It is an injury. There was some risk of re-injury. And it was never one of those deals where they're saying, you got to play. That's it. You're out there. And it took him a long time. The conditioning, the weightlifting, all those things that go into it, a lot of time was lost during his convalescence from the thumb injury. He'll be fine for next year and for the offseason. He's doing well. 
He's made a sound recovery. The risk of re-injury is, you know, very, very low. So when I think about Laramie, I just feel like if you had, let's say, Deshaun Watson, then it makes a lot of sense. You're going to throw the football a lot. You want to have that really that guy that's the bodyguard at the left tackle position protecting his back. When you're talking about a Davis Mills, you know, you don't have as much invested. You're not having a guy on a $156 million deal. Why have that expensive a left tackle? And the way that Nick Kasseri, the way Bill Belichick look at things, you know, I'm actually reading the Seth Wickersham book. You go back to even to Lawyer Malloy. Rather have a less expensive guy and have more players than have one really expensive piece. If you're going to pay a lot, it better be for like a Tom Brady. That's the way that they do things up there. And these are some principles that he was a part of, things that he believes in. And I don't know if they're going to pay top dollar for very many guys. And that could affect things with Brandon Cooks, who you can make an argument deserves a raise. And that's going to be interesting. That's another one that bears watching. That's a business situation not a lot of people talked about. But that's something I would be keeping an eye on this offseason to see how they handle Brandon's contract, you know, which he's outplayed. And they changed his deal last year, added the voidables. But he's shown himself to be, you know, their most valuable player on the offense. So we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, Laramie, I just don't know if it's going to be something where he's going to play for this team again. And yeah, we may have seen the last of Laramie Tunsil. And he's an outstanding football player and he'll help someone else. But it takes two to make a deal. Charlotte is interested. Carolina Panthers, that is. And I could see the Panthers getting involved. But no one's made an offer. So they didn't make him available. He wasn't on the trading block. It's just a matter of, was there some interest? Yeah, they are pretty desperate. But their season was what it was. There's no point in them you know, bringing in someone like him, especially with their quarterback position where it stands. But yeah, I would say stay tuned on Laramie Tunsil. And that decision has not been made yet. That's something that just, uh, you know, to be determined. All right. Last one. Looks like we've uh, run out of questions. So I have one more question for you, Aaron. Yeah. What are some of the, you know, this is something I ask each guest that comes on here each week. Who who are the players that you think deserve, especially out of the batch of one-year free agents that Casario signed this past offseason? And we, we can include any pen, pending free agents. doesn't have to be somebody that just signed this year. Who are some of the players you think the team should be looking at for extension or an, another contract this offseason? Right. I'll kind of rank them, or I'll try to. I would say Kamo Gruger Hill really deserves a new deal when you have a dozen tackles for losses as an off-the-ball linebacker, then you're in that Matt Milano kind of category. You're playing very well. It won't be cheap, though, and we'll see. I think that he definitely deserves a raise and deserves a new contract, and he'd like to be here. He likes it here, and I could see them doing some business. Malik Collins also wants to return, and you know he only made $5 million this year. And I believe there were some incentives, so he, he probably did a little better. You, you know, you're the guy. And by the way, for everyone listening, Troy is the man when it comes to salary cap. That's I ask him lots of salary cap questions all year. Um, I have access to the you know the databases and the contracts. I'm not 
great at doing all the math, but I can get the numbers. <laughs> That's my job. Report the numbers, get the contract information, and then you mm-hmm. know, the databases and all those things. But yeah, he is great at that. And uh, really, really a great resource for everyone. And a lot of people, including people from the Texans, have a lot of respect for Troy's work and like to, you know, see what he's saying, you know, and look at his projections and how, where he sees the cap. And there's no one better in this market at Troy than the salary cap. And you think about other guys, Malik, is it 7 million? Is it 8 million a year? If it gets to 10, then I think it's getting a little rich for their blood. You might even have to move on and say, well, can we get by with other players? So that's one that really I think you should watch. Uh, Demarcus Walker has shown versatility, and I can see him being back. I think A.J. Moore is someone that's kind of like Tremont Smith, that kind of contract, but maybe it's more like a two-year deal. That's something I could see happening. If you can't get back Kamu, do you bring back Christian Kirksey or do you bring back both of them? Kirksey, if it's not super expensive, that's one I could see. I think Justin Britt, it depends on the medical. He wants to come back too, and maybe you do another deal for him, even or Elaine Taylor. But you know, you're not aiming as high with some of these guys. You're doing the best you can. I've heard Scotty Phillips will be back. They're not going to have a lot of running backs back. I don't know if they would do another deal for Brookhead at his age. I don't think Farrell Brown's back. Um, I think they could change long snappers. That'd uh, be disappointing some fans, but I could see that happening. Uh, I could see even some other cheaper free agents like Anthony Oakler, who added something as a blocking tight end. I could see him coming back. And you, know, you look at Terrence Brooks, Neville Hewitt. They did well. I don't see Danny Amendola coming back. He just can't stay healthy. So I think Danny will be one and done. And David Johnson, obviously, it's time for him to leave. It's time for Tyron Taylor. Those guys will not be back, in my opinion, and what I'm hearing. So, yeah, they'll have some of these free agents, like a handful of them come back, but I don't see a lot of re-signings. They're going to go outside. They're going to look at new guys, and I don't think that it would be logical for them just to say, well, let's just bring back the same roster roughly and expect for a different result. I mean, you know, that's the definition of foolishness is if you do the same thing and expect a different result. You know, at some point you have to understand this roster, you know, as currently constructed, that's not good enough. And I expect Nick Casario to aim higher and look for more bargains. But, you know, he did okay with some of these free agents. He brought in some good guys. Uh, some of his hits are, you know, Malik Collins and Kamagurja Hill. I'm just not sure if Desmond King comes back. You know, Desmond had some discipline issues earlier in the year. He did make some plays. If, you know, if I had my GM hat on, again, I'm not a GM. <laughs> or I pretend to have the depth of knowledge that Nick and, and those guys have. But I would just bring him back unless you have a better replacement. If you can bring him back at a similar financial level, I think it's worthwhile, especially now that you've traded Bradley Roby at the start of the season. You know, Desmond is someone that, to me, has some value, at least the fact that he'll make some plays. He'll return punts. And, and that might be a little bit of a where the opinion changes or you just say, Hey, you know what? Maybe it's not ideal, but we're bring, we need to have someone to line up and he adds a certain value, but that's how I see some of these free agency situations coming out. I, I don't Troy. I mean, you know, rapid fire, you know, how do you see a lot of these guys? Do you see the point in bringing them back or do you think they should move on with other people? Um, who do you see as keepers? 
I, th- I think it's going to be a very short list, and I agree with you on, on Kamigurji Hill. I agree with you on Malik Collins, A.J. Moore. I mean, it's special teams at this point, and if he's willing to come back on a market value, then I, I don't have any problems there. Demarcus Walker, I mean, hit, the versatility is there, but every time they shift him to the inside, he just gets swallowed up. He he needs to stay on the edge. There There's no need for him on the inside. So if they, it's again, it's one of those things. If it's coming back at market value, then fine. I'm just curious to see how contract negotiations go back and forth between Kamigurji Hill and and Malik Collins. You know, on on over the cap, we have the player evaluations, which is a you know kind of a proprietary formula that pulls in some PFF information and spits out a value that's an APY number you know, versus a, a player grade or something like that. So, you know, Malik Collins is coming out at like 7.8 million APY. And that's not to say that's what the contract should be, but that's just the type of value that he's bringing to the team this year. So I could very easily see him shooting for 10 million, but I, I'm not entirely sure he's going to get it. But that's just going to be a very difficult n- negotiation for the Texans. And, you know, they, it's going to be probably one of those things where they put their offer on the table. This is what it is. Go to the market and see what you find. And if you don't find what you're looking for, then we'll be happy to resign you and, and move on about our day. You know, and at that point, I, I, Desmond King, I just don't, I'm not buying it. I don't, I think there are better options out there. I mean, the, the punt return stuff and the versatility, that's great, but you know, I, I think there's better options out there. I think there are younger options out there. And at this point, you know, Desmond King, I think he's he's 28 this year. So, you know, I think you could four, probably – Four discipline situations too that ultimately led up to the one-game benching. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot and that, of – and, and, and that was for not attending – Yeah, walkthroughs. You know, like being a, a no-show for a walkthrough. Right. You know, which is which – is, and, and you, know, you can imagine with this culture – that doesn't, that's just not going to go over too long. Yeah. But I think, you know, you look at, you know, I think, I, I don't think they're going to swing for the fences on like a JC Jackson type player. Cause he's going to demand a, a top of the top of the market contract. And he's more of a, a, a hard man to man coverage type player. So, you know, I think they're going to stick with their scheme, you know, like they did this year with all the linebackers going with a smaller linebacker. That's more speed versus size. And so when you look at the cornerbacks, you're going to be looking for more zone t- zone scheme type uh, cornerbacks. And, you know, some of the players that you want to look at are, you know, somebody like Levi Wallace out of Buffalo. He does very well in that zone scheme up there. And then uh, I was looking at it today. I lost my other name. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into all that into, into February. But, you know, I just think it's going to be a very short list on the on the on the re-signings, I think the three or four players you mentioned, Justin Britt, personally, I'm not at all interested in bringing him back. If if the team if Casario, you know, like you said, Casario knows more than we do, and is and you know, I'm not a player evaluator by any means of the fashion, but you know, I I've got to think that there's another a better option out there at a similar price range, or if the team wanted to go ahead and spend some money because there are some decent guards. There are some decent centers that are going to be hitting the free agency market if the team wanted to spend a little bit of money. And I think that that's where the team could really do some some good damage, and that's probably not the right word, but some really strong turnover for this roster if they 
were able to dill Tunsil, or even if they kept Tunsil for that matter, you know, it doesn't matter. Just have Howard on the right tackle, Tunsil or another tackle on the left side. And then, you know, I think Cole Toner showed some things in that one game that he had. Unfortunately, he was injured. But, the, you know, whether it's a draft on day two, day three for a guard or a center, but in free agency, and, and I'm going to, we'll dive into this more as we get closer to free agency, but there are a lot of good guards that are young, that are 25, 26 years old, that were second and third round picks that have played very well. There's some two or three good centers out there on free agency that are coming up that are more than likely going to hit the market based on their current team's cap situation. So, you know, if the team really wanted to invest in the offensive line, whether that's investing in the offensive line to build around Davis Mills or if that's the building the offensive line for whatever quarterback they're going to have in 2023, I think that's, you know, what Casario needs to be looking at is building in the trenches and trying to figure out how to better protect whatever quarterback is going to be, whether it's 2022 or 2023. And that's where I think the money, the money is going to be spent. I'm curious to see if that New England model continues to carry over. And, and Aaron, you alluded to it earlier, where they're more about having a good number of players versus a top-heavy set of expensive players. And you see that now. Start system, yeah. I mean, yeah, you see that you with the roster how, now. Yeah, you see that with the roster now. Look how underpaid Tom Brady was for so long, right, where he sacrificed dollars, the top dollars. He made a ton of money off the field, obviously, because he was such a big star for us. You know, the celebrity factor that eventually happened with Tom. But when you think about what Nick Casario, the bedrocks, his principles, what he's about, it's super blue collar. His first extension really checked a lot of boxes. Tremont Smith, a Frank Ross favorite. Versatility, speed, high football, personal character, younger, inexpensive, grateful. Grateful, really important word when you think about what Nick Casario is all about. Someone that's actually happy to be here, smile on his face, loves football. He checked all those boxes. And it wasn't like he's some kind of like teacher's pet or kiss, but he just like loves football. And how can you not like Tremont Smith? And he, you know, really justifies the faith they had in him. He'd gotten close before. Then he runs one for a touchdown. And then you can, you know, do things with him on a toss sweep, a little reward for him after he does that. So, yeah, Tremont Smith, that's commendable. That's a good example. You want more Tremont Smiths, and you want to have a multitude of them, not one Laramie Tunsil, you want to have a lot of those kind of guys, and that's what I think they want to have. But at some point, yeah, you got to have some star players. You got to have some guys that are top of the you know market, and you want to pay guys. And there is going to be a lot of cap space, and it can be even more if they get Deshaun Watson off the books. So we'll see what happens. But I wouldn't really anticipate a spending spree either, Troy, mm-hmm. because this free agent market isn't even worth it. Why should you spend big money just because you have to? That's what bad teams do. No, free agent is a ma- free agency is a major crapshoot. Very rarely do you get any return um, on investment. I was I neglected to mention this um, when I was talking about Malik. Uh, I want to point this out. They have strong relationships with Drew Rosenhaus, and he represents Malik. And they did business with him on Neville Hewitt and with Desmond King. And there was a cluster of guys where you saw sports stars, which represents the Christian Kirksey's and several other players on this roster. You know, probably one of them will be gone, Kevin Pierre Lewis. But my point being, 
they have good good relationships, especially with Drew, and they can do business with him. And I wouldn't that's a big thing when you come to negotiating. Can you do business again? Yes, I believe they can. So yeah, Malik wants to be here. Uh, you know, this is somewhere he wants to live in the state of Texas. He is very amenable to coming back. That doesn't mean any kind of discount stuff, but I'm just saying I think they can do business, they can play some ball. And I could see Nick and Drew making those numbers work and Jack and all those guys who are involved and Andrew Brown in the negotiating realm for the Texans. But they've got a pretty good negotiating team and you saw they were getting things done. They get guys to do restructures. Eastern had a lot to do with a lot of the restructures. There was a definitely, there's a lot of business element to what they're doing, cap management. And they had a terrible cap situation. You know, you wrote a lot about that and they're in trouble. Well, they fixed it. So even though the win-loss record doesn't say it, some of the things as far as like lower injury rate or you know some science things in the building, analytics, some of those things are going in a better direction than they were a couple of years ago. But ultimately, you got to win. Yeah. So all right. So do you have a few more minutes? We got two questions. We'll try to. I do. Yeah. I'll take right. Questions. Yeah. So we'll uh, show time. We'll go with you first and then Freddie will go after y'all a little bit. We'll have to make these kind of quick because I am myself running out of time. So we'll jam through these. So give uh, some speaking rights to Showtime. Go ahead, Showtime. What you got, man? What's up? What's up? Uh, my first question. Um, how would you describe the general manager of the Texans? Because, um, you know, I'm a Dolphins fan. And I know there there was a lot of controversy with the whole Tunzel trade. So um, how would you describe his mindset as far as uh, dealing for, for possibly dealing for Watson? Right, yeah. No, he's different from their last general manager, which was Bill O'Brien, where Bill's a coach and he's in a win-now mode and he's willing to sacrifice draft capital and make one-sided trades like you brought up Laramie Tunsil. Uh, I'll tell a story about that trade really quick. This will probably make you laugh a little bit. Brian Flores was actually the one that had a lot to do with the trade, not just Greer, but Brian is kind of the alpha of that relationship with Greer and you know, Brian is the boss, Brian Flores, the head coach of the Dolphins. So they're negotiating, and, and they work out the two first-round picks for Hunsell. That's the value. They agree to it. And then Bill asks Brian Flores, can I still have Kenny Stills? And they didn't want Kenny Stills. They were trying to run Kenny off. They were having problems with him as a Dolphins fan. No. And he'd had the dispute with Stephen Ross. The music thing went on with the Flores playing the songs. And you know, so all of that went on. And they were willing to do that, I was told, for a fifth-round pick. That would have been the throw-in for Kenny. And before they could even negotiate, he just said, I'll give you a second. So he could have got him for a fifth that didn't know that, that that's where they got <laughs> him. So he threw away no the second-round pick. Away. Uh, it's a true story. I believe that everyone has told me that story. I've had it backed up by others. I believe it. Second round Bill. pick. So that's how that's what Bill did. Bill and Bill's like burning through the capital. But as far as Nick, Nick wasn't here then. Uh, Nick was working for the New England Patriots. Nick wouldn't have done that trade. Nick would have just probably figured out some other way or just, you know, gone through the season 
without having a great left tackle situation or you coach up Titus Howard or you obviously you can't put Matt Khalil out there, Matt come play anymore, but you would have done something short of, you know, just overpaying. But that's why Bill is not a general manager. And that's why some coaches shouldn't be in charge of personnel. You know, Josh McDaniels was a failure as a personnel guy. Josh had that power when he was with the Broncos. So sometimes you shouldn't be not. I would just put it like this. A Bill Parcells that is capable of being the general manager and the coach or Bill Belichick, well, they only exist because there are only a few of them. You know, I've been around other coaches that are good at personnel, but they weren't as good as the general manager. So I covered the Ravens for a very long time. And Ozzie Newsom is one of the best general managers ever, architect of two Super Bowl rosters. He, Brian Billick and John Harbaugh knew to stay in their lane. Now, they had some juice, but they didn't know as much as Ozzie. And that's the thing. And they didn't know as much as Eric DaCosta. But they're good at it. But Bill O'Brien, no. He wasn't good at that. And that's ultimately why he's not no longer the coach. It's the failings of himself as a general manager that led to his exit. But, yeah, as a Dolphins fan, uh, you know, I mean, they're doing some things down there. They're trying. Uh, I don't know if they have the quarterback they need. I'm not sure if they got that evaluation right with Tua, even though he's, you know, had a solid year. He's done some things. I'm just not sure. What's the ceiling like? You know, yeah, what, what I'm hearing be... right now is that they're pretty much done with him, and, and you know, I keep seeing reports um, as far as for Watson and stuff like they're that. They're still in it, yeah, and he still wants the, he still wants them, <clears throat> and they still want him, and they got close. So I think yeah, they have unfinished business these two franchises when it comes to Deshaun Watson. Yeah, because when I go back and forth with people, I, I keep telling people don't underestimate the general manager of the Texans. Uh, I feel like he's going to get whatever he's asking for. Uh, what do you think that compensation is? Yeah, I know that it was three ones. I just don't know if it's still going to be there. If he can avoid <coughs> being charged, but if he's charged, it all goes into a stalemate situation where you're not going to be able to do the trade. The NFL is not going to allow it. He's going to be unexempt. You're not going to do it. So if we get through this month and Deshaun – you know, if only he's only facing civil lawsuits. I'm not saying that's a downplay the importance of them. I'm just saying, as far as the league is concerned, they would let him play with those civil lawsuits still being, you know, unresolved. If you take the criminal out of the equation, I think this deal gets done, and he will be a Miami Dolphin this offseason. I think there's a very good chance that that happens. He isn't even interested in Philadelphia. He's not interested in these other. These a lot of times he's polite when other people recruit him, like Kareem Jackson from the Broncos, etc. But I don't see it happening. I think the Miami Dolphins is where it happens. They got very close, but they didn't have a deal. They didn't get it done, and he couldn't settle. So we'll see. A lot of this happens, you know, is the X factor of Tony Busby, and you know he's the fly in the ointment here when it comes to the Watson deal. And I will always, and I'll say it again, and for all you guys that know me, you know, you know, uh, my background on this, and you know, I've I've had my own, you know, um, situation with when it comes to Deshaun, and you know, but I would I would say this, you have to take it seriously because it's a legal matter, and I take it seriously. That said, he is still innocent until proven guilty. He has not been charged with a crime, and he deserves. It just, and that's our justice system. You deserve to have your day in court instead of being convicted in the court of public opinion. And 
that's as far as I want to go with that. But I would just say that's fine. Let's let I, it play out. Let's let's. I, be have, fair. One, I have one more question. Who yeah, go ahead. Say, who who would you say has more leverage, Deshaun or the GM? Oh, you know, probably the general manager. Just because when you're the general manager, you don't have to do anything. You can sit on Deshaun's rights. You can wait, 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 and Deshaun. You know. You think about Nick and Deshaun situations, and if you think of it like a game of chess, Deshaun had a chance to really do something big as far as player empowerment and having a lot of juice because of the no trade clause, because of his really tradable contract, because of his talent. But once you have uh, these, you know, serious accusations hanging over your head, then your reputation's changed. Then, you know, fair or unfair, court of public opinion, you don't have the same. Juice, you don't have the same clout, you don't have the same power. It totally changes leverage because you've got something where you don't have, they've got, you never want to let anyone in life have some kind of power or control over you. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got a thing that's hanging over his head that's pretty serious. You know, we don't know if he'll be charged. There's a good chance that he won't be. But if he ever is, then this season is gone. And who knows if anyone's going to get involved later. Or does something else come out? So you have to just be really pragmatic about it. But yeah, to answer your question, I would say Nick Casario has more leverage because he can just simply do nothing. It's Deshaun that the clock is running. Deshaun wants to get back to being on the field and playing football and doing his thing. Nick Casario is going to be a general manager for a long time. I go back and forth with people all the time, and I keep telling people, like, listen, the guy's a general manager. I know Watson is this big player that people love, but, like, you, you have it's to not even advers- It's not even adversarial, though. Like, I know people like to think that way, but, like, Nick and Deshaun don't have a problem. Uh-huh. The, Deshaun's problems were with the owner and with the previous, you know, with things that went on in the past, the DeAndre Hopkins trade, all these things that caused him to lose faith. But yeah. primarily it's, you know, with him and Cal McNair. It's not Nick Casario and David Cully inherited this situation. This isn't their fault. I mean, it is what it is. It's a disconnect. It's a broken relationship. It's a fracture. But yeah, with Nick, and I've seen Nick and Deshaun, and they've had interactions. And it's respectful. And he's always tried to treat him with the utmost respect and treat him well. This is business, though, and Deshaun gets it, too. Uh, as yeah. frustrating as it is to be in limbo in your professional career like Deshaun or – and you know, I, I know a lot of people that know him, and he's handled what I would say a very difficult situation, albeit one of his own making in terms of you put yourself in a situation where people can make accusations. Whether they're true or not, who knows? Mm-hmm. We're not, we weren't there. My point is it's not an easy situation to be in you were known for having a commendable character, and now all of a sudden people, many, think of you differently. That is not easy, and that's been you know, the obvious expectation, what you would have for a person in that situation. That's hard. That's a tough situation. Regardless of whether you have what your role is in creating it, it's still a difficult situation. Yeah, I completely agree, but thanks for answering my questions. I don't want to hog the mic. Uh... Uh, appreciate and, it. Uh, there was another question. Uh, thank, thanks again, guys. Hope if you guys do more spaces, I'll definitely jump in. Nah, we're okay, here. Every, we're here every Tuesday, man. So come on. All right, man. I'll be. I'll be here next Tuesday. <laughs> Troy, you had another one. Well, there's one more. So let me let me hop okay. over and get Freddie because he's been patiently waiting. Thanks, Freddie. All right, let's see. All right, Freddie, you finish us this off, man. What you got? 
Hey, what's up, brother? Uh, I was going to say one thing I guess I've noticed since uh, Nick Casario has taken over as GM is that a lot of Bill O'Brien's uh, draft and signees are out the building now. They're either getting traded or cut. This coming offseason, do we expect guys like Grenard and Tunsil to get traded or cut? Or more of Bill O'Brien's guys gone? Oh, great question. Yeah, I mean, Laramie Tunsil, we've been going through a lot of scenarios about him and his potential availability. And that decision has not been determined. It, it you know, it's something that makes some sense. There's some logic behind moving him, especially in terms of what's going on with everything with the way they want to manage their salary cap. As far as John Grenard, you know, John Grenard was a Bill O'Brien draft pick along with, you know, Jack Easterby when they were running the draft together. And they're really happy with John Grenard. John Grenard's a foundational player. He has eight sacks. I know he's faded some in terms of he's also gotten more blocking attention. He's had some injuries. He hasn't been 100% healthy. And then he got COVID. So it squandered his chances of basically having a 10-sack year and being, at one point, remember people were talking about, you know, Pro Bowl when he was off to a faster start. Yeah, I don't know if he ever would have made the Pro Bowl, but point being – on a defense that's looking for, you know, young foundational pieces, he's as good as it gets. So, yeah, John Grenard, second season, what a breakthrough to have eight sacks and to be a guy that's actually tough, that loves football, that's relentless, that has moves, has a good repertoire of pass rushing moves. And I've had the uh, pleasure of watching some of his private workouts along with the other defensive line. I like Malik Collins and Jordan Jenkins, Derek Rivers and Jacob Martin with Brandon Jordan, who uh, trains a lot of these guys. And I can tell you, John Grenard works really hard on the finer points and nuances. So, no, he's a keeper. He's, it doesn't matter that he's a Bill O'Brien guy. No, he, and, it's not, it's, and I don't even think Nick looks at things that way. Nick's more just like, I'm not trying to get every Bill O'Brien guy off the roster. It's more just like, who's worth keeping? If someone's worth keeping, you keep him. John Grenard. Oh man, I I think John Grenard could be a second contract guy here, and it might not be, you know, very inexpensive. It might be, you know, expensive. They're going to have a decision to make at some point in a couple of years. Yeah, and it's it's. No, I agree. Yeah, I mean, and the only reason I bring it up is because I remember uh, uh, Jonathan Reed. Is that isn't it? He was traded, and we never really got to see him develop at all. You know what I mean? And yeah, he, well, he um, didn't. He didn't really develop year. in Seattle either. I'm just not. I'm not sure. John Reed was really, um, and I don't want to be real mean here, but you know, John was having trouble like covering in practice. John wasn't really doing well in the games, and they just missed on that pick. Uh, Bill loved him. He recruited him. It was a poor, poor decision. Yeah, they, they missed on that pick. Yeah, which is no development there. Okay, got it. Yeah. It's not. It's not about him. And John Reed is a great guy uh, who was like a film study guy computer engineering could make he could build a video game for you he's very smart he's also just really small and i know he's had actually some some success with seattle a little bit of success but you know no i don't think they got that one wrong i think that nick made a good decision he wasn't getting it done Thank all you. right freddie you got anything else man before we shut it down i I have one more question. Right. I guess it, it has nothing to do with really cap or trade. It has to do with Cully. And just do you do you think his coaching style from year one to year two, if and it's looking like he will be there year two, right? Right, yes. Uh, 
do you think his coaching side will get a little more aggressive? Because something I'm seeing is that I hate to say that he plays to lose, but when you see a coach punt the ball at your opponent's 40-yard line, down by 10 with six minutes right? he's playing to lose, you know? So I'd like to see him get more aggressive. Do you think that will change? I think he's going to play the analytics and play the numbers more. Uh, you know, he – and I know I got a lot of attention and some negative attention. He was very forthcoming about how, you know, he leaned on in the New England game. He didn't listen to what, you know, Nick Casario or Roman Cornell were advising and how he learned from that. Well, that does show growth as a coach. I don't agree with the punt situ- uh, decision either, but I think there were other instances where he started to become someone that would play the percentages because the trend is to go for it on fourth down, right? He started to do that more, and he got more comfortable. But he is old school, and it took a while for them to sell him on the analytics. And I think he's starting to buy in and look at the numbers now and make decisions based on those numbers. But, yeah, to me, like that decision, just saying, well, we had three timeouts. No, it didn't really hold water with me, but – Let's be honest. They're not going to win that game. They were being dominated. No, you're then, right. You're completely right. It's just, yeah. you know, it was just the more of playing to lose. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, it's not – or not playing uh, or not playing the percentages in a way that gives you even an opportunity to try to win. It's just, you know, essentially it's like conceding. All right. Thank you. Freddie, you got anything else about before we shut it down? Nah, that was it, man. Thank All you very right. much, Aaron. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Well, with that, another episode in the books. Aaron, I appreciate you taking the time. We've got an hour and 38 minutes, so that might reset the record for the longest show. So, you know, we'll we'll try to get this. Uh, if You know, I know some folks hop in and out and got things going on, so we'll uh, – oh, look at that. NFL philosophy jumped in just for a split second. There he's gone. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll get the podcast version up probably – Wednesday night, something like that. So I'll I'll tweet that out whenever I get the podcast version put up. And you know, Aaron, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the in depth answers and and your insight. And we'll have to definitely get you back on in the off season once uh once we get past the Super Bowl and kind of figure out where the what the direction of the team is. So I appreciate you taking the time tonight, sir. Thanks for having me, Troy. Anytime. Happy to be here. Well, with that, we will shut it down. And everybody have a wonderful night. Thank you.